Our God and our Father, we come to you through the merits of our Savior, Jesus Christ, your only begotten Son, who lived the righteous life that we were commanded to live but could not because of sin, and yet died the death that we should have died because of our sin, so that we would not receive your wrath, but he received it in our place so that we could be called into your service and declare your wondrous grace. That's why we're here today, God. And we need you to make that reality known to us once again through your word. We, we pray that you would wash us this day through the reading of your word, the hearing of your word that we receive here today. We fall short of what we are called to do many times, and we need this washing and this time to recall what Christ has accomplished and what we are called to do as we follow Jesus as disciples. I pray that you would, you would grant us who believe, grant us the joy and the desire to recklessly abandon our lives in Christ's service for His glory, to honor His name and to Extend the love of Christ to the lost. I pray this in our Lord Jesus' name and for his praise. Amen. If you would, please open with me to Philippians this morning. Open your Bibles with me to Philippians 1.21. 1.21 this morning. I just want to read one phrase from Philippians to, to begin our service this morning and to prepare our minds to think about the, uh, the lesson that I believe God has prepared for us as a church through this time together. Philippians 1.21 says, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. That, that has to be one of the, the most amazing verses in the New Testament. It testifies to the Apostle Paul's confidence and his desire to deny himself and follow Christ. Where does that kind of confidence and self-abandonment come from? That's my question to all of us this morning to consider. I want to try to answer that question by helping you see something from the Apostle Paul's own testimony that will illuminate this this morning. I want us to study the Apostle Paul's life this morning in anticipation of my exposition of Philippians 1, 18-26, which will begin actually next week. But today, what I want us to do primarily is prepare our hearts for that. And what I want to do is I want to look at Paul's reckless abandonment of his life to serve Christ. I want us to look at Paul's reckless abandonment. And I think to, to do that, we need to begin where the Bible begins to reveal what God has done in the Apostle Paul's life when he converted him and what was continuing to be revealed in his life as he served Christ. So let's begin by examining Paul's own testimony in Acts chapter 9 this morning so that you can actually see what the Bible says about Paul's reckless abandonment in the words of God himself. Acts 9, verse 1. 
But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, that is, a Christian, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And after three days, he was without sight. And for three days, rather, he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him, Ananias, he, he said, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But <laughs> Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go. Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. This is where reckless abandonment comes in. Even Ananias exhibits it. So Ananias departed and entered the house where this murderous Pharisee was residing. Right? And then it says in the text in verse 17, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul... The Lord Jesus, he's just making sure Saul knows they're on the same page. The Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. For some days, he was with the disciples at Damascus. I want you to catch this. Soon after Paul's conversion, he recklessly abandoned everything and was willing to be baptized as a public witness that he belongs to Jesus, the Messiah. 
And then he went even beyond that and recklessly abandoned his reputation and his safety in the very next verse. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his, this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Messiah, the Christ. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. You recognize what just happened? The transition? He preaches Christ as good news, as the Messiah to the Jews, and immediately they want to kill him. But their plot, verse 24 says, became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him, but his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. This is an amazing transformation that we see here. It's an amazing abandonment of safety for Christ's glory and for the good of the lost. If you'll notice, suffering began immediately at his conversion. And if you also notice something very intriguing to me in verse 25, Paul wasn't a passive Christian. He had already made disciples in this short amount of time. Look what it says. His disciples took him by night. I mean, he had not been there that long. But already he was teaching and making disciples of those who had been evangelized through the gospel, irregardless of his discomforts and the dangers that were around him. Saul the Pharisee recklessly abandoned everything to obey Jesus, to follow Christ. Now, lest we think that this story is just a story, lest we think that this is Christian hyperbole, this is extremism, or an illustration of a fanatic, let me, let me clear that up this morning. That's, that's not the case. Paul's not super Christian. Yes, he was an apostle, a special sent messenger to the Gentiles. But there's much more involved than that. He is a disciple maker, as we are called to be. This, this isn't an example of just an extreme, unique situation. This is simply what it looks like when the life of Jesus Christ flows through our veins. When you have been transformed by this Jesus on the road to Damascus, when He calls you from death into life, this is what takes place. There is a radical and a reckless abandonment of yourself so that you can follow Christ no matter what it costs. And I want us to re be reminded of that this morning. Paul's testimony is simply this. It's simply an illustration of what it means to follow Christ as a disciple. That's what it is. And this is our calling also. And the same power that gives Paul the strength to, to recklessly abandon his life is residing in you and I. The strength of Christ's Spirit. Paul, Paul doesn't just illustrate this at his conversion, though. 
We see it throughout His mission, throughout His life. This isn't just a one-time shot of Holy Spirit power. This was just the, the beginning of what would mature and even be, be exponentially growing in His life and His ministry. And we see that when we come to the letter that we've been studying, the letter of Philippians. In Philippians, you have to remember that the Apostle Paul is writing from a prison in Rome. And, and listen, he's, he's been in prison for two years, standing trial for defending Jesus. This man's zeal and abandonment of self had not let up one bit. He was willing to stand trial and go to prison to declare the glorious gospel of Jesus for His honor and the good of those in Rome who needed to be saved. That should not be unique. It should be our testimony also. Paul was willing to recklessly proclaim the gospel in Rome. Do you ever think about what that would have been like? He recklessly preached the gospel in Rome knowing, knowing that that city was a city full of pantheistic pagans. Yet by the power of Christ's Spirit, He preached, He proclaimed that there was only one true and living God in the face of much opposition. Go with me to see that in Romans chapter 1. This was another example of of the reckless abandonment of his life for the sake of the gospel and for the good of the lost. This is amazing what he does here. He is recklessly preaching. This is dangerous. This is disastrous if you're doing it on your own, but he has the promise that Christ will be with him, Christ will empower him, and Christ will get his people through the proclamation of the gospel. That's what's moving Paul here moving him to do this in Romans 1.18 to declare this to the people that are at Rome. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Paul's exposing the heart of sinners. And he's doing it boldly, recklessly. He says, here's what they suppress. He says, for... What can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. He says, general revelation does not excuse them. It holds them guilty before this holy and righteous God who is one. For although, verse 21 says, for although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. He said, look how foolish this is. Worshiping creation, not the Creator. He's calling them out. He's calling them defiled, and He's calling them re rebellious. And then in verse 24, He says, here's the result. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, 
to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Paul is recklessly preaching the truth about man's depraved nature and God's holiness. And this is, this is dangerous. You walk into a city full of pantheists, you walk into a city like that, and you declare that they're wrong, and that the God that they are offending will bring His wrath down upon them unless they repent and turn to Him in faith. He's proclaiming this message. God's wrath will fall on you because you suppress the truth of who God is so that you can continue in your depraved sin. He proclaimed that they were exchanging the truth for an excuse to pursue their lusts. And that was foolish. This wouldn't be popular. It was reckless, wasn't it? Or was it? Humanly speaking, it's foolish. It is. If I was thinking that my speech could actually transform people, that would be foolish. But Paul wasn't relying on his speech. He was relying on the message that God gave him to preach. He was speaking for God. He was speaking the truth. And he had the power of the Spirit directing him as he was following his Lord Jesus who called him into this service. It would have been foolish if it was humanly derived, but it was not. Paul had a divine calling to follow Christ and make disciples. His love for Jesus and his love for the lost caused him to recklessly abandon everything for the sake of those who needed to hear the gospel. That was Paul's commission. And according to the great commission that Jesus gave in Matthew 28, 19, and 20, that is our commission today. We have the same power, the same truth that turned the world upside down in Thessalonica and in Rome and in Galatia and in Philippi. And we see the fruit of this message taking root in Paul's life and transforming him and producing this self-abandonment to give his life for the one who matters most. Do we, do we have that? Do we really have that same kind of passion for Jesus' glory? that we would give up everything for His namesake. Paul's testimony reveals that. That is the will of God. That is the power of God. We see the fruit of that power in Paul's attitude in Philippians. Let's just turn to Philippians so I can read this text just to prepare your mind for next week. We see, we see this, this power of the Spirit working in him to cause him to consider others as more important than himself and to abandon his own self-protection, his own self-reliance, his own self-defense for the sake of proclaiming Christ. That's what happens when he responds to the Philippians in verse 12 of chapter 1. I want you to know, brothers, that what's, what's happened to me has, has really served to advance the Gospel. My, my suffering, my imprisonment, it's really good. Because through it, something's happening. He says, so that 
The gospel has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, but not sincerely, but seeking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that, it, that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Then he speaks in the future and says, and yes, and I will rejoice. For I know, that's experiential knowledge, I have intimate knowledge based on the relationship and the calling of God on his life. I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope, assurance, confidence, that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For I, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. This is self-abandonment for the sake of others. Yet which, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. Verse 23, I, I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to, to die, to depart, and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and the joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. This is, this is amazing. He's saying, I am willing to go through this imprisonment. I am willing to testify for Jesus. I am willing to suffer from my rivals. I am willing to go through all these things and continue doing this for the sake of you so that you can glorify Jesus by what you're learning through my message. That's radical, radical and reckless abandonment of self. Paul's life is a divine illustration of the gospel, is it not? Where does radical and reckless self-abandonment originate? But in Christ's humility, when he took on flesh and became like us and abandoned his glory in that sense to be a servant to save us from our sins. Paul's life is a divine illustration of that. And Paul's life serves to encourage us to to recklessly follow Jesus for His glory and for the good of the lost. The Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines reckless as an action that is careless of consequences. An action that is careless of consequences. Does that define your Christian service for Christ? Are you acting in such a way that you, you are careless of the consequences to you personally, but you're doing whatever you do for the sake of others and the glory of Jesus? And what if we did that? What would that look like? What if we really lived our Christian life like that, like Paul? 
if we really took Jesus' call seriously, I think we would. I think the world would see what we're doing as reckless, though. It would appear reckless. But in reality, it is never careless to give your life to Jesus. You are more secure there than anywhere else. I want to give you an example this morning of what reckless abandonment looks like, not just in the Apostle Paul, but in the lives of others. I want to read to you a couple of quotes this morning. The first one I want to read is from a a missionary who wrote this around 1743. I want to read to you a reckless journal entry that he penned for the glory of God and for our good. He wrote this, and he is deep into the the wilderness. He is deep into a, a, a... dangerous region here in the United States, proclaiming the gospel to the lost, to the pagans. And he wrote this, quote, Here am I. Send me. Send me to the ends of the earth. Send me to the rough, the savage pagans of the wilderness. Send me from all that is called comfort on earth. Send me even to death itself, if it be but in thy service and to promote thy kingdom. Oh, that that would be our prayer. Oh, that God would be glorified through that kind of prayer. He went on to write this, quote, My desires seem especially to be after weaned from the world perfect deadness to it and that I may be crucified to all its allurements. My soul desires to fill itself more of a pilgrim and a stranger here below, that nothing may divert me from pressing through the lonely desert till I arrive at my father's house. This man had a reckless abandonment of self that I think can be reflected in every Christian's life if we understand Christ's call The man that I just read about was David Brainerd. He served the North American Indians in 1743 to 1747. And during his service to the Indians, this short time of service, he suffered the entire time with tuberculosis, coughing up blood as he preached the gospel, coughing up blood as he interceded for the lost. He died at the age of 29 years old. But his life was not wasted. Many Indians came to know Christ through the reckless abandonment of this man's life. The life that was lived for Jesus in pursuit of his glory and the good of the lost. And what's interesting about Brainerd's life is this. His life didn't just touch the North American Indians. Because of his acquaintance to Jonathan Edwards, This journal was copied and printed. And because of that, hundreds if not thousands of missionaries have now went into service for Jesus in foreign lands and dangerous places to reach unreached people groups because they read this journal entry right here. One such man is a man named David Sitton, which some of us actually know. He is the founder of To Every Tribe Ministry, the president of that ministry. I want to read to you what he said 
when someone asked him about the risk that was involved in missions, especially missions to unreached people groups that were dangerous and hostile. Listen to what he said in response to this question about risk. Risk assumes the possibility of loss and is always determined by the value of the mission. The gospel is so valuable that no risk is unreasonable. Life is gained by laying it down for the gospel. If I live, I win and get to keep on preaching Christ. If I die, I win bigger by going directly to be with Christ. And I get to take a few tribes with me. Think about it. If I get to, not have to, lay down my life in some remote jungle swamp, but God uses my death as an object lesson to turn their eyes to Christ and His name and the gospel gets established among an unreached people group somewhere, that isn't a bad risk for me. I didn't lose. I won. It was the bargain of a lifetime because Jesus is worth a lot more than my little life. Sounds a lot like the Apostle Paul. Same spirit, same gospel. It's pumping through David's veins as it was the Apostle Paul's, and I pray is yours. It's an example here, again, of a reckless abandonment of self for the sake of Jesus. So, so again, where, where does this, where does the selfless attitude come from that's exhibited here in David and David Brainerd and the Apostle Paul? I, I really think that this reckless and selfless abandonment comes as a result of Jesus' call to be a disciple. I think that's what is the source of it. When Jesus calls us, he doesn't leave us. He's with us. He's empowering us. He's equipping us. And he's calling us to do a dangerous mission, to stand against the world who hates him and will hate us for declaring his goodness and their sin. Yet he promises to never leave us nor forsake us if we follow his command. Jesus' command to follow him appears at first glance to be reckless. It appears to be a reckless action to the world around us, but we understand this according to Scripture. In losing our lives in Christ, we gain eternal life in Christ. And we are called by that same Christ, by that same Jesus, not just to be saved for eternity, but to be effective here on earth as His ambassadors. Think about the calling you have been given. You're not just forgiven. I mean, that's good stuff, right? You're not just forgiven. You are commissioned to be His representative here on earth until He comes and He will reward you for the work that you have done in His name. The humble are elevated here. Those who receive Him by faith through what He has done for them, will be elevated to the position of ambassadors in His place until He comes. But He's, he's calling us as disciples to abandon things to follow Him. And listen, the things that He calls us to abandon aren't things that we really need anyway. We have Christ. We can trust in His protection, His elevation of our status in the future. Let me, let me point out three things that Christ commands us to do. 
when he calls us to be disciples, Christ's command is to follow him completely. Christ's command to follow him is a call to, number one, abandon self-righteousness. That's the first thing that has to go. Trusting in your goodness. Trusting in your ability to save yourself. Trusting in that will lead you to hell. You will never have enough goodness in you to atone for the one sin that you've committed against a holy and righteous God. But Christ, who was sinless, came and took our place. And we can trust in His righteousness. So the first thing Christ commands us to do is to abandon self-righteousness. And Philippians gives us an example of that. Philippians 3 Verse 3, the Apostle Paul saw this and did this and testifies to this here. He says, For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, speaking as a Jew, he says, If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as garbage, rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ. And, notice... All his confidence has shifted from his own righteous deeds, his own good works, to the one who actually has righteousness and good to impute to him. And he says, I want to shift all that to him. I want to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of His resurrection, and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible, I might attain the resurrection from the dead. He is abandoning His trust in Himself. He is turning completely to the One who called Him from death unto life, and trusting in His righteousness. And as a result, He's willing to die for this Jesus. Willing to Live for this Jesus. I think living is something we need to focus on while we're alive. Death will come and Christ will be glorified. But right now, we want to live in such a way that Christ is glorified by abandoning self-righteousness. We cannot trust in ourselves. We must trust in Christ's work that He accomplished for us. Christ's command to follow Him is also a call to, secondly, abandon selfish pleasures self-confidence, and instead treasure and trust Jesus more than you treasure and trust comforts here on earth. You turn your affections away from the things that the world says will comfort and secure you, and you turn your affections to Christ who has already secured you by His promise of grace and by His regenerating power that resides in you. We turn from loving money to loving Christ. Matthew 6. We don't put our confidence in what we obtain. We don't put our trust in this life in the things that we achieve, that we can obtain through our own works and through our own means of 
prosperity. We turn to the greater treasure, which is Jesus. Though we are poor and destitute, we have this treasure given to us by faith in what He has accomplished. Matthew 6, 19 says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. He's, he's saying, abandon these things. Where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There your heart will be also. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one, he says, serves two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Rather than giving our lives to the pursuit of money, and prosperity and comfort. We need to be giving our lives to reaching the lost who are the treasure that Christ has purchased. That's what we need to give our lives to. If you're going to be destitute, let it be for that reason. Let it be because you have given your life to serving Jesus and bringing His treasure home with you. Thirdly, Jesus' command to follow Him is a command or a call to abandon self-preservation and be willing to lose your life for the sake of the gospel and for Christ. Look with me at Luke to see that. Luke 9. Luke 9.23 And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. That's, that's some denying of Self-preservation here. Being willing to take up a cross means to die. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Abandoning self-preservation should become easy. We can't preserve our life. God sustains our bodies. God sustains our minds. God makes our hearts do what they do. How could we dare to think that we could do what only God can do? We lose nothing by giving our life to Christ. Dying to selfishness leads to Christ-exalting praise. It's complete abandonment of trust in what we can do, but we're turning completely to what Christ has promised He would do through us. Listen again to another quote about how that kind of, that kind of reckless thinking that, that Jesus is calling for here in Luke 9 transformed David Brainerd. He writes this in his journal. This, this morning, about 9, I withdrew to the woods for prayer. I was in such anguish that when I arose from my knees, I felt extremely weak and overcome. I cared not how or where I lived or what hardships I went through so so that I could gain souls for Christ. Oh, that I could spend every moment of my life to God's glory. 
He's saying that as he's coughing up blood in the midst of snow up to his waist. Oh, that I could live every moment for the glory of Christ and be spent in his service. Paul's testimony sounded a lot like that. Paul's testimony in prison at Rome illustrates that. It illustrates the kind of reckless abandonment that we see there in these, these other testimonies that I've read to you. And Paul's reckless abandonment was, was something he considered as worthy of Christ because he was, through it, able to lead others to Jesus and edify the saints that were at Rome and at Philippi, no matter what it cost him personally. Now, that is an amazing conviction. And I believe that that conviction comes because he understood Jesus' calling when he said, you are to follow me. Follow me. Be a learner of Christ. Christ abandoned everything for the sake of those he would save. This should not be a rarity in Christianity. This should be your testimony, my testimony. Are you, are you that secure in Christ's calling that you're willing to abandon everything to make him known no matter what it costs you personally. Paul was willing to die to do this. He was willing to die to selfishness so he could honor Christ. He was willing to die to selfishness so he could reach the lost. He was willing to die to selfishness so he could edify the saints. I want this to be our testimony as a church. I want our testimony to be one of reckless abandonment of selfishness for the sake of Jesus, the lost, and the church. I think that was the case for Paul because he knew that his life didn't really begin until his life was immersed in Christ. I think he actually believed what he wrote in Galatians when he said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh... I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. I think that's why Paul was willingly giving his life away for Christ. He was willing to recklessly abandon his life, his self-righteousness, his dreams of prosperity, his safety, so that he could follow Jesus and he could proclaim His message. Just think about what he gave up. He had the comfort of a Pharisee. He was set for life. He had, in a sense, nobility. He was the chief among Pharisees, if you will. He was, as to zeal, he was more zealous than anyone else. He was killing Christians in the name of Judaism. And Jesus called for him to give all that up and to die so that he could be given life so that he could actually live for the glory of God. He lost all these things, yet he, he knew in losing these things, he didn't lose anything. Jesus even warned him in Acts 9 that if you follow me, or when you follow me rather, when you follow me, you will suffer for me. But, but Paul, you're my chosen instrument to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Paul says, I, a defiled, rebellious Pharisee at heart, have been called unto life and given the blood of Christ to wash away my sins, and now He's calling me out of darkness into His service? 
Yes, Jesus, I will abandon everything for you, including my dreams, my status, my security, my freedom, because I've gained heaven. I've gained Christ. I've gained the opportunity to joyfully abandon my life to magnify Jesus' life. What an amazing calling we have. You are an instrument chosen by God to magnify Jesus on the earth. Is that not amazing? Does that not move you to abandon things for the sake of the glory of Jesus? I think for the sake of the glory of Jesus, we do abandon things. That's the longing of our heart as Christians. But we have to think about this. Are are we really willing to recklessly abandon things in order to joyfully follow Jesus today? Are you willing to abandon pride, comfort, praise of others, abandon even friends, prosperity, and even your physical life for the sake of testifying to Christ? Can, Can you and I truly say to live is Christ? Ask yourself that this morning. I think we all long to do that this morning, but we all are aware that we have an enemy. I spoke about the enemy last week. He, he resides within us, in our flesh. But we also have other enemies. We have the world's appeal. We have Satan whispering in our ears, if you will, through the world's appeal. The world and The flesh and the devil seem to whisper to us, don't be too zealous for Jesus. Don't be too zealous for Jesus or or people will not respect you any longer. Or we hear, you need to protect your interests. Guard your reputation. Keep quiet about Jesus at work. Don't do that. you You could lose your job. Don't come across as some radical follower of Christ or your friends and family won't listen to you any longer. Don't risk your life. Protect it. That's what the flesh and the world and Satan wants us to hear. But that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, recklessly abandon yourself and trust in my promise. Matthew 10, 37. Jesus says, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. If you have affections for other things and other people that are greater than your affection for Christ, you are not worthy of Christ. He must be preeminent. Verse 38 says, And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. If you love your life more than you love Christ, you are not worthy of Christ. These are strong words. But then verse 39 comes along to give us hope. Whoever finds his life will lose it. It will be abandoned. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. It will be secure. It will be secure forever. 
So Jesus is saying that by His grace, He promises us true life when we lose our life for His namesake. You want to know what living the Christian life is like? You lose your life for the sake of Christ and you'll experience that. You abandon self-protection and self-preservation and you declare the gospel with boldness and confidence that Christ is at work in you and you will experience life abundantly. In this text, Jesus says you might lose your family, your friends, or your reputation, but he says, I'm worth it. Because sinners need to hear about his love and his forgiveness and his grace and his lordship. And I think that all of us here want to honor Christ as his ambassadors, as witnesses. But I'm aware and you're aware of this, that self-protection and worldly mindliness and Satan try to keep us from this joyful obedience. So as I was thinking about this, as I was preparing this over the last couple of days, I was thinking, how do we overcome self-protection? That's sort of woven into us, is it not, in our flesh? We want to guard our reputation, guard our life, guard our family, guard ourself. So how do, we, how do we overcome this fallen tendency? By trusting in Christ first. Trusting in His promises. But, but how did Paul abandon his life? I don't think that Paul began to recklessly abandon things in a legalistic way. He didn't, he didn't do this by beginning to focus on his selfishness. No. I think that reckless abandonment comes as a result of the gospel and focusing on Christ. Paul's abandonment began by focusing on Jesus' reckless abandonment of his life, according to Philippians 2. This is where we find the source of reckless abandonment. When we see what Jesus has done for us, we want to follow this Christ. And because of that, we abandon self. Look what it says in Philippians 2.4 Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. That's self-abandonment. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. See, that, that thought in verse 4 comes from being in Christ. It's Christ's mind that is in us. Verse 6, this same Jesus Christ, he says, who though he was in the form of God, he was God the Son, did not count equality with God a thing to be asserted or grasped or held on to, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a slave, a doulos, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, This is the astounding part. This is the part that shook Paul to the core. God the Son, he says, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. We have been called to this kind of obedience. We have been called to this kind of radical self-abandonment. But we have fallen short of it. But praise be to God, Jesus never fell short. Jesus came into this world as a babe. 
lived a righteous and holy life in our place, in obedience to God's commands of the Old Testament, fulfilling them all, and then giving his life up as a ransom in our place, being crushed and cursed by his Father so that we could be accepted and loved by his Father. God the Son, Jesus, was humbled so that the humble could be elevated and called to represent Him on earth. That's your, that's your testimony this morning. That, that's what produces reckless abandonment of selfishness. Think about what Christ abandoned for your sake, for the glory of God. When we, when we look to Jesus' reckless abandonment of His life, <laughs> the things or the comforts of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Turn your eyes to Christ. That's what Paul did. Paul's reckless abandonment of his life was, again, not a legalistic move to please God. That's not what it was. Paul's reckless abandonment of his life was the impulse of a forgiven sinner's heart that has been regenerated and given life to magnify Christ. His reckless abandonment followed his calling on the road to Damascus. It was the result of regeneration. He was just astounded that Jesus had called him, a guilty sinner, into his service. And that, friends, that, that produces radical and reckless and drastic results. It changes us. There's a transformation that has taken place you once were defiled and dejected, and now you've been received and you've been cleansed by the blood of Christ. You're His forever. And He calls you personally into this service. We need to understand something about that call. The call to be a disciple. The call to be a follower of Christ. A call to recklessly abandon self. That call is not an option for us. It is a divine summons given to us by King Jesus. It is a command. But it's a command that's empowered by His Spirit. And it's a command that's made manifest in our actions when we abandon self and sin and Satan and trust in His plan, His plan to set us apart as His holy instruments, His jars of clay filled with the glorious gospel of Christ to declare His worth throughout the world. That's what this reckless abandonment should lead to. And that's what it springs from. In this calling, we're going to face suffering as Christ's ambassadors. That's a given. But in this, we can rejoice. Because when we abandon our lives, we find a better life residing in us. When we abandon ourselves, we find the life of Christ is at work in us who are weak so that the surpassing glory of that work would belong to Him and glorify God through His people. Look with me again back to Philippians 1, 19. The life of Christ was at work in the Apostle Paul's life when he was, when he was suffering. He says, I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not, not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by my life or by death. For to me, 
To live is Christ, and to die is gain. There's confidence and reckless abandonment in that. Because he knows that through his selfless service and his coming death, he knows that either way, Jesus is going to be honored because Jesus is at work in his life. He's encouraging the saints at Philippi. He's encouraging the believers at Rome. He's evangelizing the imperial guards. He is thrilled to live for Christ and he's ready to die for Christ because either way, he wins. And Christ's name is proclaimed. And in that, Paul will recklessly abandon self and rejoice. And we need to be with Paul on that. Paul's deliverance from self Selfishness and self-protection and self-reliance set him free to live and die for Christ without any fear of loss. Church, listen. Reliance, complete and utter confidence and reliance and assurance and obedience to Christ is not reckless. It's not reckless. It is our assurance that we belong to Christ and that He will be honored in our lives and in our death. Listen to one more quote from David Sitton in response to a question about whether it was worth it going to evangelize headhunters, whether that risk was truly worth possibly losing his life over. He wrote this, I conclude that losing my life for the gospel is literally impossible. It's literally impossible because my years on this earth are worth far less than the value of the eternal gospel. And then he wrote this. A cross-centered gospel, one that requires self-abandonment of Christ to be our substitute, to die our death, to take our curse. He says a cross-centered gospel requires cross-carrying messengers. And he's right. If we're going to talk about the one who abandoned everything to give us life, we should be willing to abandon everything to declare there is life in Christ. Are you, are you that confident of the gospel to do that? Are you that confident in Christ's calling to take up your cross and live? Live with reckless abandonment of self? Listen, I know this. I know God... I know God is calling everyone in this building that are believers, every single believer in this building, God is calling you to be His witness. He called you to be His witness when He called you to be His disciple, when He converted you. He's called all of us to represent Him as His ambassadors in our homes, at work, and in our city. But I also know this. Some of you here are being reminded by this message that God has called you, not just in a general way, but in a specific way, to serve others in this church, or to serve in public ministry, or to go into the mission that God has placed you in, in Ada, or wherever you're at, and wherever you're going in the future. But some of us have not obeyed that call. Some of us have stepped back, protecting ourselves, fearing that we could lose something. There is no loss. There is no... No fear of losing anything by giving your life to Christ's service. Let me just tell you that personally. I have never regretted one moment of 
God's calling on my life. It has been hard. It has been difficult. It has been trying. It has been impossible, humanly speaking, to do it. Yet God has given me the strength through His grace and His Word to be equipped to continue proclaiming His greatness and His goodness to the world. And praise be to Him for doing that. Maybe today's message is, is a call for all of us to repent of our hesitation and rejoice over the reality that God can equip us and send us out and we can abandon self for Christ's sake. And we need to reevaluate our lives this morning in light of that. God, God's the only one who really knows our hearts, but I know this. I know that the glory of Jesus is worth our dying to self. The salvation of sinners who will bring God praise on the last day is worth our giving up of our comfort so that they can know about Christ the Savior. I really pray that I really pray that God gives you and I a burden. Number one, for his glory, and through that passion for his glory, he will give us a, an ability to deny self and to seek the lost and to love them, and to weep over them, and to go after them, and to proclaim to them, and to beg them to be reconciled to Christ, because on the last day, I want Jesus' worth to be proclaimed. And it will. But I want to be a faithful ambassador until that day. That day that every tongue confesses to the glory of God the Father that Jesus is my Lord. I want my life to testify to that now. So is Christ truly Lord of your life? And if so, are you willing to abandon whatever it takes to represent our Lord here on earth? Think about that this morning. Let's pray and ask God to do what we can't do on our own. Father, we pray that though we, we want to be consecrated, though we want to be dedicated and set apart, we, we fail to do that in our own strength. So we pray petition you we we come before you as your children who need your strength and know that you have promised us an answer to that prayer through christ who is our strength who is our righteousness who has gone before us in obedience and given his life as a ransom for others and he did so with the joy that was set before him and we know that through christ we will be strengthened through christ we will be equipped through christ we will be given this joyful reckless abandonment of ourselves, so that we can exalt his name and reach the lost so we're asking you this morning i'm asking you this morning for the glory of Jesus, for the good of the lost, and for the good of the church, for you to do a, a mighty move within our hearts, within our lives, so that, so that everything we do and everything we think would magnify Christ. Let us live for Christ and expect that our death will be gain in Christ. Thank you for the truth. Thank you for your church. Thank you for your spirit who now resides in us and equips us to do the work of the ministry. We pray that your name, God, would be glorified as we recklessly abandon ourselves and trust in your promise in Christ. It's in Jesus' name and for his glory I pray. Amen.